This is episode 124 of the Creative Giant Show. This is our seventh question and answer episode. Angela is joining me as we discuss questions about the priorities cage match, um, how to bring in more diversity into your company, and what to do when your plans are too intense. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. All righty, Angela, as always, thanks for joining me on a question and answer um, episode. It's always more fun together. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. All right, so let's jump right in. Okay, so our first question is from the campfire, and this is from Laura. And she wanted to know if you would elaborate more on the priorities cage match. So she says she understands the concept, but would like to hear more about how you allot time to things in the middle. So things that don't win the day, but still definitely require some time and attention. Do you stack functions, for example, family time with exercise, or give certain days and times to the second and third place winners? So maybe start by telling us what what that creative cage match is all about there, um, or priorities cage match, and let us know what you think about that question. Okay, I always have to laugh at this, because when I explain this concept in front of Angela, she's like, really? I know. Um, because it, it goes back to it goes back to where I grew up and what influenced me. And one of those was professional wrestling, like WWE and WWF, right? Um, and the cage match is just an idea that you take different competitors and you put them in the ring. And there are different versions of it, but the, the competitor that's last standing in the ring is the one that wins. Right. Yeah. And so that's the rough idea there. Um, we also wrote, I also wrote a post about this on Productive Flourishing. We'll link it up in the show notes. And so it's, it was a few months past um, by the time this podcast comes up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can read out more. I'm pretty sure if you, if you Google Project Cage Match, there's only going to be one entry. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I would be surprised if, if there were more entries on this. Um, and so what Laura is commenting about is what sometimes happens is as you go through this process, you, know, you say you take seven different projects and priorities that, that you want to put in there and say, okay, somebody is going to win, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to win? And you can start seeing like, okay, that one that I put in there, like it's easily beat by all the others. And so it just kind of gets thrown out of the ring. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that you don't work on it, but it's just easy to see like, oh, that one really not going to do. Mm -hmm. And you can start... So, you know, then you look at the rest, which one's the strongest, which one's the strongest, which one's the strongest. What often happens in this process is the one that's the strongest is not the one that you want to be the strongest. Mm. Right. And so you might, and what the Project Cage Mac actually does is illuminate your values and priorities more so than it illuminates anything else. Right. Okay. Because if you get to the bottom of the list or you get to, you know, the competitor and let's say you're a mom. And you know at the end of the day that if, you know, your kids get sick or if they have some project going on, that that's going to win, mm -hmm. right? You can be super frustrated about that, right? I'm, I'm all about parents making space to be frustrated about, you know, not being able to do everything. Mm -hmm. But what really what that's telling you is your most important priority is to be a great mom, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, it could be that, you know, there are other things similar to that you might – you know, you might negotiate or you might not negotiate on, on certain types of things. And what happens is um, you get to the point to where there are projects and goals that you know, 
and pause. I use projects and goals interchangeably a lot, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times I can't convert, I can't understand a goal if I don't understand how it's a project. Okay. And every project actually has at least one goal to it. And so there's an interchangeability in my mind, which is why I normally say projects and goals, right? Mm-hmm. And it also helps that I write most goals as smart language that looks like a project because I've just learned to do that. So mm-hmm. just quick aside there. Um, what inevitably happens is there's this middle, there's this middle section of projects, projects and goals that aren't the most important thing that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. They're not going to win the day every dang time, but they're also not at the bottom. Yeah. They didn't get thrown out quickly. Those are the roughest ones I've learned, right? Because those are ones that really matter to you, mm-hmm. but you haven't created space in your life to make it a real priority. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of times what I'll say is for those projects in the middle, they're aspirations, but not yet priorities. Okay. They're things you want to do, mm-hmm. they're things you care about, they're things that you know you aspire to do, but they're not an actual priority. Because I go I come from sort of the Gandhi line of action expresses priority. Mm-hmm. Right? Action expresses priority. If those are those middle things you're not going to do. Um, that means other things have priority. I'm going to pause real quick. A lot of sideways here, but not a lot of sidebars. Um, procrastination and perfectionism mm-hmm. show up a lot of times in this middle category of things, things you keep putting off, things you want to make perfect. Yeah. But really what you have to understand is what's what's working under perfectionism mm-hmm. and what's under working under procrastination is normally some fear or discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so if you convert that fear and discomfort into its opposite, which is security and certainty, mm-hmm. then you have a higher value for security and certainty than you do for creative adventure and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, actually. Yeah. Um, but just understanding that that's what's, a, that's what's the operating thing. So that's kind of the setup there. And I believe Laura's question was what to do about these projects in the middle, how to schedule time for them. Yeah. Um, the best thing that I could say on that one is you're going to have to schedule – like get it in the schedule to work on those and firewall that time and don't allow yourself to work on other things that may come up because other stuff is always going to come up. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing is like, if it, if it really, um, if that project matters to you, you got to schedule and commit to project time. Mm-hmm. The second thing is a he- getting a healthy dose of, of realism on this one, right? Getting a healthy dose of realism, meaning that, um, if you've got these sort of big front burner, I'm going to, I'm going to do those projects and priorities, or I'm going to work on those no matter what, understand that you're not going to make the progress on those middle projects on par with those main priorities. Yeah. Um, they're not going to get the time and it's, it's really sometimes as simple as what you feed grows. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeding these bigger priorities and these bigger projects and they're getting, the steak of your of your energy mm-hmm. and they're getting the the good veggies of your energy mm-hmm. and these middle projects are only getting sort of the the leftovers or you know this they're getting the leftovers at the smaller portions they're always going to be runs mm-hmm. you're that because that's how you're feeding them and again it's being okay with that in a way being okay with saying these are my priorities these are my goals i can't do everything but to be who i want to be in the world these are the ones that I'm going to work on. And these are the ones that I'm going to creep in and work on as I can. Yeah. So a little bit more about Laura's question here. 
that I wanted to be sure to kind of touch on, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about this, was she asked about also, do you stack functions or do you give certain days and times that you do these second or third place winners? What What are yeah. your thoughts about that? I say yes and, right? Okay. Um, so stacking is when you do multiple activities at the same time, right? So there's habit stacking, which mm-hmm. is one way we talk about it in the productivity. And habit stacking is normally where you'll do one action that's easier for you, and then you'll tack on another action that follows it, and then you'll tack on another action, and you tack on another action so that you eventually just need to commit to the first action. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of athletes and, and regular exercisers actually do this. Like they just commit to putting on the shoes. Yeah. And then they just commit to putting on the, you know, the rest. And then they commit to getting in the car. And there's all these little commitments mm-hmm. that in the end get you where you're trying to go. So that's habit stacking. Um, activity stacking is normally where you're doing multiple types of activities at once. Some people call it multitasking, but multitasking is one impossible. Two, um, I think people try to work on multiple creative projects at once mm-hmm. rather than thinking about things like, can I go hiking with a friend mm-hmm. um, such that I'm satisfying my goal to exercise more and get out in nature and spend time with friends. Yeah. Right. So I would say, st- I would say um, stacking in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not just for that middle project. I think it's just for our lives. The more that you can do that, the better yeah. off you are. Right. Yeah. And so for instance, um, my good friend Corey and I, we work out together, right? And we both had the goals of doing that, and it just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Well, we also wanted to spend more time together, mm-hmm. and we also really enjoy that, right? And so I'm like, why don't we just work out together? And it sounds so dumb mm-hmm. to say like, oh, yeah, we both want to work out, and we both want to hang out more. We both have subscriptions to the same gym, gym chain. Mm-hmm. How about we just do that together? But it took us years to figure that out, <laughs> right? Um, and so that I, I would say for the things that matter most, actually – you want to think about ways that you can stack and include and do multiple things. That way you get to do more of them, mm-hmm. right? If you're, if you have a value around community support and community engagement, doing that such that you're getting people outdoors or whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it might be, um, is just a better way to spend more time doing that without having to get into sort of value, sort of value slash priority balancing because mm-hmm. you're able to do them all. Yeah. Right. Um, so another thing is, Listening to audiobooks while you're doing chores and errands. That's mm-hmm. another sort of activity stacking thing. You don't have to choose between the two. Um, you just have to be creative about that. So absolutely, activity stacking is is a way for all of your projects and priorities. And it can also be a great way to combine some of those middle ones that aren't getting done. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to pause here for a second. Um, one of the reasons some of these projects that you care about get stuck in the middle is because people don't give themselves the permission to do the stuff that make that makes them come alive, mm-hmm. right? So it's you know, um, it's a dad wanting to spend time with with his kids, um, and feels guilty for spending time like with his bandmates, mm-hmm. right, or something like that, right? We can think of all sorts of different ways. Like you're not giving yourself permission to do those things. Um, I see that happen a lot with parents, which is why I keep giving parent metaphors yeah. or parent and or parent examples. Um, but it happens in all relationships, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's feeling, um, you know, I kind of felt a twinge of this the other morning when I went to eat breakfast with Noah, where I was like, because Sunday is sort of our yeah. going to brunch and hang out. But I'm like, crap, like I really, I've missed hanging out with Noah and we have this opportunity here and 
you know, it's time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a little guilty, but I had to remember all the different times you've said, like, go do that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been um, instigating me, like, to do that anyway. So I had to lean into it. But still, it would have been really, really easy yeah. for me to say, no, I can't do that. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have given myself permission. Um, and just as an aside, probably somehow or the other blamed Angela for that. Not fair. Not fair, but it's <laughs> we're human, right? Yeah. We, that's what we do. And we've had plenty of conversations about that, which is why I can say it on air. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Are you feeling good with that question? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I appreciate that question from Laura and your your response, too. It was helpful. Yeah. Big love to Laura. Yeah. So our next question is from uh, Jim, and he sent in a question, and he works in management in a mid-sized company. He says that they are finally starting to think ahead to incorporating more diversity into their management and executive team. Um, Says, I know this is a really broad question, but I wondered if you could talk some about how we can grow in this area and groom people from more more diverse backgrounds to become leaders in our company. Yeah, I really appreciate this question on multiple levels. Um, And, you know, so the work we've been doing in diversity and equity and inclusion, it's Mm -hmm. an important conversation. Yeah. And the thing that I would want companies to start with, and I would like uh, advise people to start with is um, don't be reactive about diversity. And here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times we wait until we're hiring Mm-hmm. And we're looking at our candidate pool and we say, okay, like we're going to give points to diversity or we're going to like have that be a consideration. There are different ways you can think about that, right? And, mm-hmm. and different companies do different things. Um, but in a lot of ways, that's still reactive. You're still waiting for yeah. the right candidates to find you. Yeah. Right. And I was having a, conversations with a with a um, fellow philosopher and we were talking about the um, – underrepresentation of minorities and women in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so my question was with, with, you know, I, while I appreciate, I won't go there too much, but it was a question about how philosophers can be involved in questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I just made the point of like, what does it say about our field when we're underrepresentative of women and minorities trying to advance conversations mm-hmm. about underrepresent about diversity, like equity and inclusion and social justice. Like we really need to, add, to think about that. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, sort of what I was thinking is I, I don't know to what degree philosophy departments and are like wondering about this is a bit, it's a big question, but it's like, are they growing to historically black colleges and universities and mm-hmm. grooming people there mm-hmm. proactively sending, sending people there? Do, are they connecting with philosophers and people at those schools to get them. And that, that's just one angle of it, right? Are you are you actively getting out into the communities in which you want to be more diverse in mm-hmm. and engaging them way early in the pipeline, mm-hmm. right? Um, way early in the pipeline. Because from a um, historically disadvantaged minority um, or identity, um, I, I think a lot of the diversity... Um, a lot of the DEI sort of conversation has been focused on them finding on people from disadvantaged backgrounds, Mm -hmm. finding friendly and safe institutions. Mm, I see. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to reverse that question. Yeah. I want friendly, safe, curious, brave institutions to go find the disadvantaged minorities Mm -hmm. and identities and say through their dollar, 
through their efforts, Mm -hmm. we really are looking forward to you working at our company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, And, you know, here's our company. Here's what our management track looks like. Here's what this is. And even if you're coming from a place of saying, and I know this is sometimes really hard for an organization, saying, you know what? We have historically not done a good job of being inclusive in our hiring Mm -hmm. and being inclusive in our management and being inclusive in our leadership. That's true. Mm -hmm. And we don't like that. Yeah. And we're trying to fix it. Yeah. Right. And we would like you to be a part of that solution. Mm-hmm. That's a different narrative, you know what I mean? That's a different narrative than just like, oh, well, there's this really talented, um, there's this really talented person that I know mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, maybe I should hire, or there's a really talented person in this pool that we're really happy implied. Those are all reactive measures. Yeah, I see that. Right. And so I like to call about diversity by design, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your, your organization becomes more diverse because you've designed it to be that way. Yeah. Not that you've hoped and reacted that it would be that way. Obviously, yeah. I have a lot to say here. Um, so the first thing that I would say is get proactive and get into the communities and get early in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, get really early in the pipeline. We live in Portland, yeah. and there are all sorts of ways in which organizations could get early in the, in the talent pipeline for um, for different communities that they want to be in. Join their future business leaders of America, right? Mm-hmm. Join, like, talk to the teachers there. Like, get get in it, right? <laughs> Yeah. Get in it and be brave about it and mm-hmm. understand that it's more than sponsoring a local school thing. It's it's definitely a much, much broader conversation than that. Yeah. The second thing is that um, I'll say this, and this is just observation. It's a tough one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if your organization is already um, not looking very diversity friendly, mm-hmm. not if it already doesn't have a lot of man- managers who are from diverse backgrounds and women and international stu- international candidates and things like that, it makes it really challenging um, f- to go out and recruit people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one truth. Mm-hmm. The second one is you don't want to, um, I hate to say burden, <laughs> right? You don't want to expect that the people from those identities and from those backgrounds are going to be your community champions. Yeah. Um, That has the accidental consequence of pulling them out of management and leadership tracks Mm -hmm. because while they're out recruiting, they're not putting points on the board when Mm -hmm. it comes to whatever other metrics that you have in your business. Mm, Right. So you unintentionally sideline them. Yeah. And then you end up perpetuating the same problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, um, unintended consequences, it happens though. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, that's where it gets tricky again. If, if, and, and we see this across all organizations, we know, so if in, in academia, for instance, if you're, um, if you're a minority, you get put on all the committees. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, committee work is not in a lot of ways, a high, a highly valued thing that will get you promoted into the next rank. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you've got to do the research. You've got to do the teaching. You've got to do all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're not like, wow, you're all on 18 committees. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to give you credit for that and not hold your research, not hold the lack of research, mean, i.e. being a real scholar. I know I'm, I'm making a point here, right, mm-hmm. um, against you because you're doing all this other stuff. So, again, we see that across a lot of institutions Yeah, is that um, we end up having diversity champions that are sometimes from those diverse – from the diversity pools that we're trying to build into. Mm-hmm. And unless we reward their efforts on par – with everything else, mm-hmm. we've got a challenge. Yeah. I mean, for instance, um, we know that 
people that are coming from a background in sales mm -hmm. tend to rise faster in the upper management and um, executive ranks. Mm -hmm. Okay. We know that. Well, if you have for the last three years been going to schools, if you've been interviewing candidates, if you've been on hiring boards, you haven't been out in the field selling. Yeah. Right? Which makes the only track for you to be an HR track. Mm. But HR tracks normally don't end up in upper management and, and executive ranks. See yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. So I think this is one of those unintended consequences that you want to be really careful of. Mm -hmm. Now, the an easy way to fix that is to give due credit to that diversity work mm -hmm. and put that it make that a leadership issue, mm -hmm. make it an executive issue. Don't make it an HR issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we're gonna have a whole other conversation around why I believe HR is really under um, undervalued in most organizations mm -hmm. um, to the detriment of yeah. the organization and the people in it. So yeah. that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. Is there a third point? The third point I would say is make sure that people from the diverse backgrounds have the awareness of and same access to the professional development opportunities mm. that everyone else does. Um, and I know this is, again, another one of those things where organizations don't mean to, but they end up doing it. Mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily talking to this diverse pool of candidates and making them aware of like, hey, there's this budget that we have for coaching and professional development. Mm -hmm. And here's how you here's how you tap into that. Mm -hmm. Right. There's this um, there's this leadership team or retreat or like leadership building thing that happens. Mm hmm that I wanted to make sure that you knew about in case you were interested and you're always welcome to join us. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I say that is because there's formal ways in which people advance through the ranks. Yeah. And then there are informal ways. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the informal ways, again, unintentionally become a insider's group. Absolutely. Unintended. Um, if we're being charitable, mm -hmm. like if this were 40 years ago, we'd say something different. But right now we can say it's unintended, but also having the effect where um, talented people are not getting the same professional development and leadership development and organizational development opportunities as other people, just because it's a one of those things of exclusion by proximity. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So those are three things that I would that I would hit pretty hard if you're really interested in, in being it. But that it, I would start with the first thing. I mm -hmm. would start with the first thing and say, how are we getting out there and having some of those uncomfortable conversations yeah. and showing up? Um, and this is not foreign. I'll, I'll pause here. This is not foreign because these a lot of organizations are going to Harvard. A lot of organizations are going to Stanford. They're going to Caltech. They're going to talent hotbeds mm -hmm. and recruiting from those talent hotbeds. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I know sometimes when this conversation comes up, it's like, isn't that like affirmative action or reverse discrimination? Some of those types of things it's like, no, this is what you're already doing. Right. Yeah. You're already going to places where there is talent mm -hmm. and saying, we want you to come work for us. Yeah. You're not going to these other places where there is talent and saying, we want you to come work for it. So do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's a lot to be said that's there, great. but that's a great, I think, a great primer. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate that question um, from Jim as well. Um, it's an important topic for our companies to be thinking about. 
Okay, uh, last question for today, um, also from the campfire from Jeremy. He wanted to know, how do you decide whether your plan is too intense activity heavy? So he says that he sat down and he reviewed the last four weeks in the previous month uh, where he used the weekly planner and realized in hindsight that almost every task on his list was high intensity and high on creativity. Um, He had almost no admin or, quote, brain dead tasks in those four weeks, which explains, I think, why I've been feeling brain exhausted. Do you have tips for noticing you're doing this while planning so I don't so that he doesn't have to wait for that whole hindsight thing next time? That's a great question. Yeah. And, and you know, Jeremy always asks great questions and I appreciate him digging into the momentum planners. Part of what I would say that he's learned or observed is that you know, as much as we talk about time, energy, and attention, we talk about different high peak creative times. Mm-hmm. Um one sort of observation here is that we don't have as much of that high peak creative time as we would like. Mm. It's a, it's a very finite resource. Yeah. And, um, peak performing creatives only have four to six hours of that peak activity at, at, at day mm-hmm. in great environments with great structure, with practice four mm-hmm. to six and they're burnout. Right. Um, I think we under, we underestimate or under account for how taxing mental activity is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I will say that it's how, how taxing that is, but also how taxing emotional trauma and grief and, and sort of that stuff is. Those are really taxing mm-hmm. activities. Um, so that's what he's come up against. Mm-hmm. Um, what to do about it. Yeah. Part of it is um, to make sure that, um, this is going to be a weird analogy, but I've been known for weird analogies. <laughs> Think about your work more like if, if it were a fitness regime, right? It would make sense if you planned your entire week to be six hours of sprinting and no other work but sprinting. You're going to be exhausted. Yeah. You're going to be worn out. Um, instead of thinking of like all sprint, think in terms of like, okay, I'm going to sprint a little bit here and I'm going to jog here and I'm going to walk here. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can sort of have some of those activities and really tap into the, the natural energy cycles that you have. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like that because they're like, well, if I can sprint, I should sprint all the time. Yeah. Right. Not true. You got to think of the long game here. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to think of the fact that, you know, it's said over and over again so much that it's trite is that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Right. What I would want people to think about is if they can put, you know, three solid points on the board every day. Um, way better to do that every day mm-hmm. than to put, you know, six hours on the board or six points on the board one day and then seven the next and then five the next and then none. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you did the math, I didn't do the math in my head, so you might have you might have been one of those air math people to realize, oh, wait a second, the the second number, the second series actually had more, um, more things done, mm-hmm. but and but <laughs> the stories that you'll start to tell yourself when you go idle, are you and you must break are generally not as useful and kind as the stories you tell yourself when you're getting constant momentum. Yeah. Sure. Like if you're just 
boom, every day, boom, every day, boom, every day. And that becomes the way that you understand how you get stuff done. Mm -hmm. Then the question becomes boom every day, right? How do I do this every day? And we understand that we're sick and things happen, right? But you know, you know, at a certain point, you're going to get back to it and boom every day. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you have these fit start sort of things, you got to hope that you catch a good streak. Yeah. You got to hope that life doesn't intervene. And then when you um, do have one of those fallow periods, like what what Jeremy said, then you have this whole story about like, I'm not working, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, The trick when you love what you do is being okay with not doing it when you can do it. Yeah. Right. You see this over the holidays. You see this over the weekends. You see this over periods where, like, I mean, at no point have I experienced a client or myself say, it's Wednesday. I got everything done that I needed to do by the end of the week. I'm just going to take a couple days off. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, it goes back to permission. But we don't see the world that way, right? If if it's fr- if we said we're going to do these five things by Friday, mm-hmm. so Wednesday afternoon we've done those five things. Mm-hmm. The more common narrative that I see people say is that wow they screwed up the plan at the beginning of the week and they should have said that they were going to be yeah. able to do more. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then there's a whole story there. Mm-hmm. And so um, the reason I say this is that I, I have worked with enough people over the years. To say, you know what, like working at a good 85%, mm-hmm. I say 85% with 100% focus, right? Mm-hmm. 85% and being okay that you have that additional margin, mm-hmm. it's really a sweet spot to be in because that gives you the cognitive, emotional, and um, psychological margin mm-hmm. to spend for whatever else comes up in your life. Yeah. And it could be synchronous things that you wouldn't have committed to, but to show up, they could be a kid getting sick. They could be, um, an election that you didn't, that didn't go the way you thought it should and would go. There could be all sorts of things, but if you have no margin in your life, Mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those things where you're always going to be on the, on the edge of burnout Yeah. or, um, negative story building for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Right. So bake in some margin and, all very principle-based stuff. So Jeremy's like, but Charlie, give me a tactic. So here's the tactic. When you look at your list, um, when you get to that degree and you know that, like really sort by like how heavy of an activity this is going to be. And, and some of our momentum planners actually have that on there where you can say this is that heavy an activity. And if you know that you have all heavy burn activities, mm-hmm. you got you to actively down ramp and say, you know what, I'm going to spread these out. Yeah. And here's where um, I use, you know, different metaphors based upon different metaphors and frameworks based upon what people are going through. This is where sort of the front burner, mid burner, back burner way of thinking about projects can be really interesting because those things that are on the front burner that need a lot of your attention and need a lot of need a lot of stirring or they're going to burn. Right. You might only have two of those of a given week and then you might have, you know, two in the middle burners where you just kind of. You got to watch them, but you don't have to be on top of them, right? You have to stir them every five minutes. You're not in there, like, you know, stir frying something. Yeah. And then you have the stuff in the back that's simmering, mm-hmm. right? You can just kind of poke in on it, stir it every once in a while, so on and so forth, right? 
And we all have different amounts of burners, and that's what we're trying to figure out. Like, what are my burners? But just mm-hmm. understanding that if your whole, if your whole um, meal, your whole productivity meal is stuff that requires your front burner, mm-hmm. or your two front burners, that's going to be a lot of energy, and it's going to take a long time, so on and so forth. Right? It just is not the best way to say, best way to plan a meal that every, um, every dish needs those front burners mm-hmm. and needs your attention. Um, it just, it won't work out well. Yeah. Think about your, your, your weekly to-do list in that way too. Nice. Spread them out. Yeah. Spread them out. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. How do you feel with that question? I think I'm good there. I mean, I'm okay. sure, I'm sure there will be more questions that pop up again. As Angela mentioned, we have a group on Facebook mm-hmm. Called the Creative Giant Campfire. If you search for Creative Giant Campfire, you're only going to find one group. Yeah, it's kind of like Project Cage Match. You're only going to find one person <laughs> or one one post. So, um, if you want to join the conversation that we're having there, get prompts, have any further clarifications, you know, see stuff that I sh- that I slide in there before it ever ends up getting published. Mm-hmm. You'll want to come join us at the Creative Giant Campfire. It's a free group. You don't have to do anything. Um, to, to sign up except for be on Facebook and, and, you know, follow along. Um, that's also where we source these questions. Yeah. So if you have any question, um, about anything, the single best way is to join the creative giant campfire. Um, be looking for a prompt. Angela goes through about how frequently do you go through? Uh, maybe once every week or two. Yeah. She'll go through once every week or through those questions. Also, by the way, end up, um, seeding posts that I'll publish on the blog as well. Right. So, um, what makes this fun for me is being able to have live people on the other side asking questions and, and letting me solve their problems and answer their questions rather than me just sitting down some random morning and figuring out what I want to write about. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work out so well for me. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling good there. I appreciate the questions. We're looking at who asked questions that we want to give a shout out to. Oh, uh, Laura. Jim and Jeremy. Laura, Jim, Jeremy, thanks so much for those questions. Thanks for the engagement. Um, I hope this has been useful. Um, as always on any of our podcasts, and you know, with this one ranges range between prioritization to you know diversity and inclusion, which I know is not a lot of an issue that a lot of people can in, can impact, and then it ends up with plans being too intense. You know, just take one thing mm-hmm. and apply that one thing. Mm-hmm. Have any further questions? you know how to reach me. And until next time, stand tall. If you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.